Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Hello there and welcome to episode number 32 of The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple. Why are you hearing me on Monday, you wonder? Well, it's because at the start of the month, I mentioned how thankful I was to have you as my audience. And with that, we've been serving up a weekly double dose of thriller writers and what we're calling our happy thanks for giving your support. On today's show, I'm happy and proud to introduce you to debut author Wanda M. Morris and her thriller, All Her Little Secrets. I'll save all the praise for the show, but just let me say, you're going to enjoy this one. Wanda's a kind lady with a gentle soul, along with a big dose of wise insights and advice. Pre-recorded live, please welcome Wanda M. Morris to the Thriller Zone. Hey, how are you? I'm so good. Look at that bright, smiling face. (laughs) Goodness gracious. More beautiful than the book cover. Oh, aren't you sweet? Thank you for inviting me. Are you kidding me? Thank you for accepting. You are on fire. <laughs> don't mind if I sip coffee while we chat, do you? Oh, please. I, um, I've i got my cup of water here nice. with my enjoy the journey, um, which is what I'm trying to do with this book and the launch. It's been incredible. That is some truth. Let me add a little more light here just because... Um. Yeah, I have been following your uh, journey, and every time I turn around, Wanda Morris's name is here, and then it's there, and it's, I mean, people are gobbling you up. (laughs) Well, it's taken 13 years to get here, so I'm going to enjoy it. Isn't that funny? That's that's the old saying, right? Uh, Yeah, she was an overnight success. It only took 13 years. Right. <laughs> Let's just jump into it. Uh, did you have any idea that it would be this big of a jump, uh, this big of a success so quickly out of the gate? No. Um, no. Uh, when I started this book, my only hope was to tell this story um, and get it bound up and put between a cover and sit on a shelf somewhere. Um, I just did not expect that people would uh, resonate with the story um, quite the way they have. I'm I'm grateful, no doubt. But uh, yeah, it has surprised me. Welcome, Wanda Morris, to the Thriller Zone. We are so excited for you. Thank you. You know, we're going to get to all her little secrets in a minute. Uh, this is going up there as one of the fastest reads I've had uh, in a while. And granted, I have to, and I'll, I'll give you a lot of praise a little bit later on. I say, <laughs> <laughs> I do have to do a lot of reading for the show in order to be able to talk, you know, intelligently about it. But um, I found myself wanting to um, get to the story because I wanted to see what my hero was going to prove to herself. Mm-hmm. And that's what fueled my passion. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. I like that. 
I also I enjoyed I like I like reading authors who who live what they write. They always say, you know, write what you know. And because it provides an authenticity that other people they can mimic, but they can't mimic to the degree of people who've really lived it, right? Mm-hmm. As someone who holds memberships with the American and Georgia State Bar Associations and continues to practice to this day, you're the perfect example of that. And um, without being too superfluous, I mean, if you ask me, this is right up there with John Grisham. Oh, gosh. Wow. Thank you. Thank and you. Here's yes. And here's why. Well, John Grisham lived what he wrote. You do the same. He had intriguing characters. Yours are equally as intriguing. And I loved, and I'm going to get into this more in a minute, but I loved the the heart of your character and her journey. And it really put me into the perspective that I hadn't fully anticipated. And I got to see life through eyes that I'd never seen through before. Powerful. Thank you. That is exactly what um, I hope would come out of this book. I hope that people read this book. And um, of course, I hope it's entertaining, but I hope that they take away um, a new perspective or just to stop and think, hey, wow, I never thought about those issues this way. Um, that that to me is um, is really an accomplishment. So thank you for that. Sure. And as a bit of background, so you're in Hotlanta right now, right? Hmm? Is this your hometown? No, it is not. Actually, I am from Cleveland, Ohio, um, but I moved to Atlanta um, after I got out of school. Um, my first legal job was here in Atlanta. I met my husband uh, a week after I moved to Atlanta. We've raised three kids here. So I've been here for decades. So yeah, I I have some inside perspective. My husband is a native of, of Atlanta, however. I love me some Atlanta. I uh, moved to, uh, I met my wife, moved to New York. Long story, I won't bore you with that. But I grew up in Charlotte. And um, when the film industry was really kicking ass in North Carolina before they moved to the new Hollywood East in Atlanta, I used to go down there and do a lot of uh, acting for TV and, and films. And I, I just love the city. It's it's that um, the amalgamation of a big city, but still with a small, uh, a bit of a small town sensibility because of the Southern, the Southern nature of it, you understand. <laughs> Sorry, that may have slid into a little bit of Georgia. I mean, uh, uh, Alabama or something. I can't quite, you know, appreciate it fully, you know. Yeah, I think the Georgia accent is, um, it seems a little more stately, more yeah. like this. Yes, uh, proper. Yes, very proper. I love how you, uh, you know, you took me through Bucktown and uh, the east side and the west side and the up and coming sides. And I always love authors who, who sprinkle just enough information in a story that for those of us who have been there or lived there or visited there, that we were like, oh, I, I know that area, but not belabor it with all this superfluous information because really we want the the heart of the story. But mm-hmm. you did a perfect blend of that. Well, thank you very much. Um, you know, the city is a city of uh, dichotomies and um, 
it just, it would be the perfect backdrop for this story and this journey that this character was on. I mean, you have, you know, Civil War uh, con Confederate uh, statues perched right down the street from the Ebenezer Baptist Church where Dr. Martin Luther King preached, or you've got Confederate soldiers carved into the side of a mountain right down the road from John Lewis Parkway. So it's a city of dichotomies. It is um, really a convergence of, you know, kind of that old Southern flavor with um, the new, um, the new kind of city trying to, to burst through. So yeah. I think it was the perfect backdrop for at least little John's story. Yeah. And it was interesting. You, uh, you mentioned there was a scene, I think the uh, getaway scene, um, the corporate holiday getaway scene was in uh, one of my air favorite areas, which is Tybee Island. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, my sister and I used to go down there a lot and hang out summers and talking about just a great, quaint, remote little town. Mm -hmm. You know, as I was reading the story, I was, and I suppose we all do this, we look through the lens of the author and try to see how does that relate to the families we grew up in so that we can go, oh, I understand that. And you, there was a lot of pain in this background of um, Elise. And uh, it reminded me of some of my pain in the background. And I wanted to know uh, if it's not terribly private, you know, um, how much of your background, how much of your childhood did you layer into this uh, such complex character? Well, certainly there is some of my background. And from that, I mean, um, having those strong female figures in my life, um, people like the character Vera, and um, even Birdie, her cousin, but women who um, were strong and committed and took others under their wings and helped other women along the way. Um, you know, the character Vera is really kind of an amalgam of my mom and my grandmom and aunts and women in the neighborhood who, you know, whoever was in need, they were there. And, uh, you know, they were the ones who were disciplining kids that were not their own kids. Um, and so, yeah, that I took um, from real life. And then, you know, of course, who else hasn't, who among us hasn't had some pain um, in their life? Um, certainly, um, Elise's pain goes very dark. Um, but what I was trying to accomplish there was the setup for how she came to be and how she behaves in the way she behaves. Um, I, I don't think it's a spoiler uh, to say that in the opening pages of the book, you know, she finds her boss dead and she walks away without calling the authorities. And seemingly people would go, who does that? Um, and so you have to know that there is something going on there that would make a person behave that way. And it's so funny that a title of, <clears throat> of, of this book, All Her Little Secrets, is so apropos for that very thing. And you did such, I don't want to, you know, just continue to slather you in praise, but I, I got to tell you, I loved it. So there you go. 
But the way that you um, revealed, you peel like these Vidalia onions from the south, right? You peel away these sweet onions one layer at a time, and they, it gets a little sweeter at the uh, as you go, sweeter to the core. Now, conversely, some of those secrets are not terribly sweet. And, and what you allowed me to do as a reader is to go, wow, I thought I knew her, peel away. Oh, I thought I knew her, peel away holy crap, she, you know, and it was just, and Veer, I was getting ready to mention Veer right before you did. She, she was one of my favorites because she reminds me of so many people in my past. And, um, the, the boldness and the bravery with, from which she operated, um, as this page, uh, monarch of, uh, of just being the, the, the gate keeping these kids safe. And I thought, again, I thought I knew her until we got well into the story. And I'm like, there's a scene. I literally, I was like, wow, sh she's bold. But desperate times require desperate measures. Exactly, exactly. You, you get it. That's exactly right. What I tried to do, because if you look at... Um, at the book and you look across all the female characters in the book, they're all on some type of journey and um, you know, how they traverse that uh, trail um, is different for each one. And, and Vera had her, her trail. I mean, you know, she came out of another, you know, Southern city and there was all sorts of mystery surrounding that. You have even Willow, who is Elise's um, colleague in the executive suite, is also trying to manage, um, you know, working in this toxic environment. You have Martha, who is Elise's mother. Um, who certainly has a lot of pain mm. um, and trauma of her own is also, you know, trying to do what she thinks is the best that she can do. And so I like to read books where characters surprise me, um, where I read along and I think, yeah, I got this. Okay. And then boom, you know, something happens and you're like, oh, okay. There's something else going on here. Wanda, you cannot you cannot tell me that this is your debut novel. There's that's not <laughs> possible. Right? Indeed it is. That's the very first book I've ever No, read. that's just that's that's publicity hype, isn't it? Come on, girlfriend. Tell <laughs> lean in and tell me the truth. I I wish, I wish it were. Uh, I, I would love to tell you that I have some secreted, you know, book in, you know, a drawer somewhere, but I literally started writing this book 13 years ago and I put it away. I, I put it away because one, I convinced myself Nobody wants to read about, you know, a black woman in her forties who works with some really awful people. But more importantly, I put it away because I didn't believe in myself. I didn't think my writing was good enough. And um, so I put it away for seven years. I didn't touch it. Um, and then I had a bit of a health challenge uh, six years ago. And um, I got through it. But you know how people say, oh, you know, I went through this health thing and it changed my life. And and I get that because when I came through, I was kind of like, 
wait a minute, what am I doing for me? What are the things that I do that give me joy? Because I am, you know, spread thin, being everything to everybody else. What am I doing for me? And I've always enjoyed writing ever since I was a young girl. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to pick that manuscript up. And this time when I picked it up, I just committed to I'm going to finish it. I'm going to get to the end because I had written about 75% of it, but I didn't have an ending for it. Um, so yeah, I, I picked it up six years ago and said, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get to the end. But once I started doing it, I just, I was in love with these characters from day one. So when I committed to it again, this time I was like, I love these characters. And I kept getting tons of rejection. I was trying to get an agent and people were like, yeah, you know, I mean, as soon as I hit the send button, it was like I was getting a form rejection. Um, but I was in love with the character, so I wouldn't let it go this time. I wouldn't let it go. And this is what I love this kind of a story. God, it's one of my favorite things because my, my wife's always accusing me of, David, you always are rooting for the underdog. You're always saving the lost puppy. And I'm like, I, I'm just wired that way. I can't help it. Um, big heart, whatever you want to call it. But um, you just said something that uh, I've often thought, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of us writers uh, do constantly. Who would want to read this? And it's just not true because there is an audience for everything. And oh I also have this core belief that it's based in some kind of a spirituality, and that's a whole other story. But if you are gifted, which you are, if I'm gifted, which I am, writers who really love it and uh, absorb it and want to be better at it, if they're given that gift, they will succeed. It's just a matter of time. And I think the universe, God, however you want to package that, kind of in my own personal way, sits on the sideline and says, I've given you this gift. Let's see what you do with it. And if you don't believe in yourself and put it out there and, and, and accept the rejection, then maybe you're, maybe you're really not cut out for it. Maybe you don't have what it takes, or maybe you don't want it badly enough. And um, so... I hope that little pop philosophy rings true with you somehow. No, indeed, that is exactly the way I feel as well. Um, and I think that's why I was so committed to it the second time around, because I started to, you know, having gone through, you know, all this health challenge, I started to believe that there was a purpose um, and that whatever it was, if I tapped into it, you know, I was kind of, I was on my way. And I do believe, and again, like you say, maybe it does seem kind of woo, woo but I believe that when you put yourself out there and you take the first tentative steps, that the universe kind of sends to you all that you need to do that. Um, you know, I, in my acknowledgement page, the first um, thank you is to God, because I know that I couldn't have done this journey without that kind of divine intervention that, you know, either put me at the right conference to meet the right person 
or to have a friend who knew a friend who knew another friend who said, yeah, I'll take a look at those pages and give some thoughts. So I do feel that way that, you know, the universe, you know, wants something good for you, but you have to step out there first. That's exactly it. You have to have the faith in yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this simmered on your back burner, as I like to say, my grandmother used to say, for what? You said 13 years. Yeah, so it it simmered for about seven years because it took me, gosh, probably the better part of a year or so to write the very first draft because you know, I was writing on airplanes and in libraries on my lunch break and wherever I could snatch a chunk of time. Um, but then I put it away. And so I didn't pick it up again until um, 2015. Yeah, 2015. Yeah. Kent Kruger was on the show recently, and I love telling this story. He, he said he walked into a Barnes & Noble one day and he saw the vast vast expanse of books and I've done this myself I'm sure you have and you and you, and you say to yourself what could I possibly say that hasn't been said but those you know kind of like cream rising to the top if you let it sit there it's you know if you have a great story inside of you it will come out eventually if you listen and if you take the patience of allowing it to listen I'm a, I'm a big fan and again uh it's simmering on the pot it's my my grandmother used to have this old um this percolator coffee maker that would bubble up on the top and and I had it forever and I lost it in one of my moves but I love that because the more you know there's a comfort to that bubbling but you also knew that the longer it did it and then it quieted down that that coffee was going to be perfect mm-hmm. and I think sometimes what we do is we we I'm, I'm certainly guilty of this and I, I, I gotta believe you have been that if you rush it uh it doesn't taste as rich right it's like um any kind of cooking, right? You, sometimes to let it sit and meld the, the day after it tastes so much better. Mm-hmm. Could I come up with any more metaphors, Wanda? Um, <laughs> point being, trust the God that is in within you mm-hmm. to know that the talents that are also there will come out in the right time and they've come out for you. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. This book... Um, it, it, and, you know, in all honesty, it wasn't ready six years ago. Um, like I said, when I pulled that draft back out, it was bad. It stunk up the place. Okay. <laughs> uh, it was bad, bad, bad. So it wasn't ready, you know, six years ago. It wasn't even ready three years ago. Um, and I think as well, um, you know, kind of the environment that we all sit in now and kind of this whole political cultural shift that has taken place over the last two years, um, I think was also very welcoming of this book um, and the issues and the themes that are covered in it um, may not have gotten the same reception six years ago or 13 years ago when I started it. You took the, are you reading my notes? Do you have a secret? <laughs> because I was saying if, uh, if this had come out uh, like five years ago, it would have had a certain kind of an impact. And then I'm thinking about a recent president mm-hmm. and what, what that would have been like just two years ago. And excuse, but I guess they're doing the yard today. Um, 
And yet right now it seems like the perfect time. And I'm going to come to a point in a minute that's going to really resound with that. But I want to say this for those who are wondering, uh, because we're talking about family and, and, uh, you know, warm and fuzzy things, it is clear that it is a thriller at the core, but I admired the essence of family and the resilience of their love. That's probably the thing I walked away with best, especially, and I got to always be careful about my spoilers, especially what happens with Elise Littlejohn near the end uh, as she continued her fight for her brother. So um, the heart of the story um, does not overpower the essence of the thriller, but it's like, it's like neck and neck with it, which is what made this story so interesting because I'm a thriller lover. I like to get those pages turning. I mean, that turns me on like nothing else. But I also love uh, family stories, right? Um, one of my first novels was a family drama. And so, again, it's just a great blending of that. Thank you. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, Wanda talks about the complexity of merging the idea of a family drama inside a traditional thriller. Stay with us. Hey, it's Ted Flanagan, author of Every Hidden Thing. Just want to let you know, if you're a fan of mysteries or thrillers, you really can't beat the thriller zone with David Temple. It's a must-listen. Hi, this is Kristen Tetsy, a one-time guest on my favorite thriller author podcast, The Thriller Zone. I just want to wish David Temple and The Thriller Zone a very happy six-month anniversary. Hi, this is your host for The Thriller Zone, David Temple, and I wanted to say thanks to Chris and Ted, who took the time to call and voice their appreciation for our podcast. As Chris said, now celebrating our six-month anniversary. If you'd like to do the same and perhaps be featured on the show, Take a moment to go to thethrillerzone.com and click on the red button on the right side of the screen. You can do it from your phone, laptop, or desktop. It's easy and fast. Share your enthusiasm and perhaps a thriller author you enjoy reading. Maybe we can get them on the show. Thanks again, Chris and Ted, and thank you for listening to The Thriller Zone. Hi, I'm Wanda M. Morris, and I'm the author of All Her Little Secrets. And you're listening to The Thriller Zone with David Temple. You know, David, I tell people all the time, despite the body count, this really is a book about family and love and loss and resilience. Um, Because I, I really did set out to write a book about family and, you know, across the dual timelines, um, both theme, the theme runs through both timelines you know, when she is in kind of this present day corporate America, you know, everyone is called family and you're one of the family and we take care of family. And then you have her, um, you know, in her relationships with Vera and, and her brother, Sam. And so I really did want to explore this, um, this concept of who we call family and, you know, whether they're tied to us by blood or, you know, by the office space we share. Um, And that, that, that too came out of like my lived experience because I, um, I I worked for an organization where everybody was called family, you know, you're a family member and, you know, go talk to John, you know, and that side of the family. And, 
they did not treat people like family, whether it was, you know, promotional opportunities or you know, pay equity. People were not treated like family. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And um, one, you know, one day someone in my department died and there was nothing sinister about it. The person just died. Um, but I was mortified by how quickly everyone went back to normal after this person died. The office was clean, the name was removed, and two days later, nobody was mentioning the name again. And I was just like, what happened to all that family stuff? Um, And so that too worked its way into the book. I did really want to explore who do we call family and why? Yeah, and uh, I worked in corporate radio. My first job was radio and I was on the air and uh, that was back when corporate radio was really big, um, which ended up being the demise of the whole system. And uh, to your point, it was hilarious. You know, they would always, they would welcome you in with their arms around you and they would throw all this money at you and all these bonuses and all these perks and you're part of the family. And you know, if without you at the helm doing that morning show, we wouldn't be who we are. But boy, 13 minutes after a radio show, and this happened more than once, uh, and it only ha- it happens more often when you, the higher up the, ne- uh, the chain you get, uh, meaning higher up this, you know, cities, LA, New York. Mm-hmm. But boy, when they cut you at the throat 13 minutes after your show, and uh, you've got 15 minutes to be out of your office, and uh, we'll have security bring your stuff down for you. Yeah. Really? What <laughs> happened to? Family, could, could you pull me aside and said, "Son, we got a problem with you. We need you to work that out." No, they just cut you off at the knees. Mm, and yeah. I felt that in this story all over again. Mm-hmm. Sounds you, familiar. You brought out so much pain. <laughs> oh. Anyway, my work here is done. Then, <laughs> thank you. How much do I owe you? Right. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, the thing I loved about Elise and, and, uh, I don't think this is an original thought, certainly not, but she was a hero who didn't even know she was a hero. And, mm. you know, it, it, and it's so obvious the way you painted that character is that she somehow secretly wanted to be here, but she had no idea until maybe near the end. She, you know, not that she said, Hey, I'm a hero. It's just like, I loved watching the evolution of her uh, growing into her own skin. And I thought that was quite awesome. And and let's go back to this flashbacks. Uh, there's so many different things people talk about flashbacks. And I enjoy the flashbacks because you add it, you continue to add layers of complexity. Um, and, and it never got in the way as often. Sometimes it can. Sometimes I feel like I'm being whiplashed. But for some reason, I got, I don't know, I, I don't know why, but I got to where I actually was anticipating those moments because I, I, I followed your rhythm after a while. I pick up on rhythm really quickly, uh, some kind of ADD thing, I'm sure. What? And um, those moments tended to provide like a deeper understanding of her secrets. So, yeah, you didn't just flash back to go, hey, I grew up here in this town and, you know, it was hot because it was the South. But you you would add this little layer, going back to these layers things, but that layer in a flashback, so it would help me stack it later to really fully understand her. I mean, how did you do that? 
Well, it's interesting because, and this is to harken back to what we were talking about when the book is ready, um, the dual timelines did not come along until later. So the earlier versions of this book, it was just kind of a straight linear story with like flashbacks in her mind. Um, but I kept getting rejection and the, the, the common theme through all of that was, I just don't get who Elise Little Johnny is. Like, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't understand her. And so I said, there's obviously something that I am not doing um, that would give, you know, this agent, this reader, a sense of who this woman is. And so, um, you know, I had attended a workshop years and years and years ago. And the workshop instructor said, never write your story in dual timelines uh, because people will love one timeline and not the other and vice versa. And so I had been following that advice. But when I stepped back and I saw this theme um, consistently through all the rejections was that they didn't understand my protagonist, which is a big problem. Um, I said, you know what, let me just open up her backstory. And so I did. And, you know, I threw out the workshop instructor's advice and everybody else's, which is another piece of advice I give to writers, write the story the way you want to write the story. So it was when I, right. So when I opened up her backstory, it even surprised me to an extent, David, because as I was writing, I was like, yes, this is what Black female strength looks like. This is everything that was kind of pouring around in my head is now laid bare so that the reader comes to understand. And I also wanted to show, again, like I, I said previously, I wanted to show this journey, not only that she makes across the arc of the story, but also to explore the journey of other Black women, the women like Vera, the women like Martha, uh, the town that they grew up in and what that meant for women during that period of time. So I wanted to, to kind of layer all of that in. And, you know, I also think it gives the reader an opportunity when you kind of pound, pound, pounding through the thriller sections of the book, it's kind of a nice little hug to say, you know, okay, let's take a minute and let's go back and look across this line. And how did she and Sam get here, for example, or what happened that brought them all to this crux right here? Gosh, so many things are bouncing through my head so quickly. Uh, one thing is I want to go back, Wanda, go back and say that phrase again to me so that my listeners really get this because so many of my listeners are writers. What did you say about rules and throwing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> First piece of advice, throw out the rules. Write the book the way you want to write the book. Write the book that feels right to you. Because once I started writing the book this way, it felt right. It, it felt like I wasn't trying to write a book for somebody. It felt like I was telling a story about someone, particularly Elise. What was, what was uh, Vera's uh, advice about God sense? 
That, yeah, I love right. that. Tap into your God sense when you're writing. Listen to your God sense. Yeah, because the God sense is your sixth sense. Uh, mm-hmm. I, why they call it sixth, I haven't. Well, I do know how they call it by that, but it, it's that one sense uh, above you that's also deepest inside of you. Right. Um, I, something I want to jump back to before I keep going, and that is this. <clears throat> Uh, I'm so curious because I'm a self-published author um, and, you know, with with an eye toward traditional publishing. When you finally got that story that you wanted to write, where you threw out all the rules and you said, this is what makes me tick. And you started submitting it at that two-part question, always doing that. First is, did it take to that point since you got rejected so many times this way was it did it by the time you got to the point where you went this is the story i want to tell did you get better recognition number one and and how quickly and number two is who was the person that picked up the book and said this is a winner i want to represent it Mm, that's a great question so yeah when i got to this point it was so funny because when i decided to to open up and do the dual timelines, I had written um, three immediately. Um, And and one was the very opening scene where um, she is getting on that Greyhound bus and leaving for boarding school. And then there were two others that were very pivotal um, later in in the book. And once I wrote those three scenes, I was like, oh my gosh, this book feels different. Like it just felt different. I, I don't even have the words to articulate it, but the book felt different. Um, and it's it's so funny because when I did start querying, I had just gone through um, a, a querying slew where I had query because I had participated in something called pitch wars. Oh yeah. And um, so there's an agent showcase at the end of the mentoring period. And I had over 20 agents who were like, Oh, the premise sounds amazing. Send me the book. And I was like, I'm getting an agent now. And I sent the book off and uh, every single one of those agents turned me down. And I was like, gosh, are there any agents left in the thrill and mystery market for me to query? Um, but I had already signed up to attend Thriller Fest. I don't know if you've ever attended Thriller oh, Fest. Oh, 2019 was my first, oh, and it was gosh. the best thing I ever did, yeah. Well, I was at the 2019. Funny, we didn't see each other. I'm sorry, but I didn't you know, see you. I didn't know there was a star in the making right there. <laughs> it's so funny. I was at Thriller Fest. I had already paid for it after I'd gotten all these rejections. And I said, well, I've already paid for it, so I might as well do this one more time. And that time I said, if this book doesn't get any traction, I'm putting it away for good. And I sat down during the pitch session in front of a lovely woman named Lori Galvin of Avita's Creative Management. And she said, tell me about your book. And I was so nervous, but I pretended like she was a girlfriend and we were sitting across from the table at each other with lunch. And I was just telling her about this story that I heard about someone. And afterwards she said, oh, that sounds really good. Send me the manuscript. And I sent it off to her. And 24 hours later, I was sitting in the parking lot of my kids uh, day camp 
and my phone buzzed and I opened it up and it was Lori. And she said, I am loving the elephant fighter. And I just screamed. I screamed right there in the parking lot um, because that's, that's the email. That's the one that you want to get. And after so much rejection and so many years, it just felt so good. Um, but yeah, that's how it happened. <laughs> was it originally called the elephant fighter? It was originally called the elephant fighter, um, which comes from an African proverb that says when elephants fight, the only thing that suffers is the grass. And it serves as the epigraph for the book, as well as the sections of the book. The book is divided into three sections, the elephants, the grass, the fight. Yeah, that was so brilliant. I, I didn't, you know, I'm, I'm one of those guys that kind of looks ahead to see, uh, because I'm always about structure, I'm when I see, okay, where's her first, second, and third act? Or, you know, I see there's a tented page, so that's a demarcation of uh, a break in the story. And then I saw, elephant, fine, what, what? And then I went back and went, oh, yeah, the epigraph said that. And it was so perfectly poised. All right, well, first of all, congratulations. That's humongous. And so she became a fan instantly. And I'm guessing within within days, she said, let's do yeah. this. And, yeah. So within days, we had a call and she said, I'd like to represent you. And um, it's it's I guess it's considered polite etiquette that you should also let, you know, other agents who are currently holding your manuscript know, hey, look, I have an offer. And uh, so when I went back to all those agents who were still holding it, they were like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. But there was something in that first call that I had with Lori that she she knew what I was trying to accomplish with this book. Um, and so the other agents fell by the wayside and she signed me up and, you know, we made some more revisions and tweaks. Um, and then the pandemic hit. And uh, for a time, I just wasn't writing because like the world had stopped. Sure. And um, then um, I got back in the driver's seat, made a few more edits. And then in July of 2020, July of last year, uh, we went out on submission and 12 days later we were in auction and um, here we sit now. Yeah. It, it does sound like a Cinderella story. Like I said, that only took, you know, 13 years. Uh, so it took Cinderella 13 years to grow up, you know, um, <laughs> that is, uh, those are the kind of stories that give us all hope and, um, you know, it is not without hard work. We get that. And, uh, and I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but I'm, I'm assuming you have one already in the works now for a, a second book. It has to be. I do. Yeah. I do. You'd like to share any little <laughs> secrets? I mean, we're such good girlfriends now. <laughs> right. Yes. It's we're buds. Yeah. It is, um, another thriller. Um, it takes place, however, in the Jim Crow South of Mississippi in 1964, and two Black sisters become embroiled in the murder of a white man. And before the police can catch up, they take off running. One runs to um, Ohio, and the other winds up in a small town um, here in Georgia. But what they don't realize is that someone from Mississippi knows what happened and is hot on their trail 
because he has some dark secrets of his own and a motive that they don't see coming. Mm. I'm already in. <laughs> you know, I set out, I, I, someone else like you did, you, you compared this book to the firm. And I just think that is, you know, wonderful, wonderful compliment. But I tell people I didn't set out to write legal stories. I want to write women's stories. And so this next book explores um, dreams and what it's like to have a dream and that dream doesn't come to be and what it's like to be a woman in the 1960s. Yeah. Um, Tough. Yeah. Well, no doubt it will be powerful. And by the way, let me backtrack a second. And and you made a really interesting point. Um, The fact that I compared it to the firm was because of the relationship of the law and the practicing the law and being inside the world of law. Um, Whereas uh, Grisham has more court scenes, which definitively define it as a legal thriller. But the interesting part about you, uh, your story, it was that it wasn't as much inside the court. Matter of fact, there was not a single scene. scene. Yeah, yeah, there's not a single courtroom scene. But mm-hmm. but that didn't matter because somehow my mind filled it in uh, and through just conversations. But that wasn't even the essence of the importance. It was about a black woman being the only one in corporate America in a white boys club in the uh, in the South and. And that was the crux of the story. So you didn't really have to have all the other stuff. And I'm, I'm going to go dark here in just a second, but I want to go bright first. And that's this. You sprinkle such beautiful phrases throughout the book. They're elegantly uh, simple and, and beautifully crafted. And I keep a notebook with me because there's certain things that just capture me. So I hope you'll uh, allow me. Uh, just wonderful phrase. Grace was dressed in a bright red coat, jeans, and a pair of suede booties that slipped her the extra inches her DNA had neglected. (laughs) For whatever reason, I love that line because you you turned a phrase. You know, then just page later, that smile goes upside down because I'm reminded of the racism in America that uh, continues to disappoint me so greatly. And I mean, I, I, to this day, I, I, I say to myself, how, how can we as an evolving species to continue to live in such archaic times in a, in a archaic mindset when we judge and dismiss and minimize those around us because of the shade of their skins? I, I've never understood it. Uh, I don't think I ever will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that is um, something that I was trying to get across in in the book. You know, racism and sexism and all the isms, it's it's tiresome. It's it's weary. Yeah. Um, and it's so useless. Um, and so what I try to try to get across to the reader is that you know, no matter how high Elise jumped, it was never going to be high enough because this society has decided that no matter her character, her intellect, um, her humor, um, her heart, 
she still wasn't good enough simply because of the hue of her skin. And there's so many missed opportunities when you make those sorts of judgments, whether she was about to lay down several hundred dollars in that, you know, boutique, or whether she could help this corporation with some initiative through her intellect, but because someone has decided you're not like the white male who was your predecessor, we, we won't go there. And that is a disservice to everybody, not just to, you know, the people who are being discriminated against, but to the people who could benefit from it as well. The white males in the corporation, the store owner, whomever. Um, And so I was also trying to get across that um, this is, like I said, for lack of a better term, it, it, it is tiresome. It is tiresome. And here we are in the 21st century with all sorts of renewed vigor behind um, racist attacks and leadership who refuses, refuses to acknowledge um, things that used to be just common courtesy. It, it boggles my mind. It really does. You're, you and I are so much on the same page. I'm going to sit here and read my next note. And it's, you almost just said it. I, I, I said to myself, it's the freaking 21st century. And it's sad the way our country continues to, regrow, to gr- refuse to grow the hell up and in Little Secrets, Elise has to fight this tooth and nail. And so that's what I said where we are, are so similar. And I gained an even deeper appreciation for what so many people to continue to live with and suffer from that I have been certainly aware of. But I, I never got to see it through the eyes like this. And you truly shifted me in a way, um, in a profound way. Thank you. I, yeah. I, I really appreciate that. I, you know, it's my hope that people read this book, you know, and think, gosh, I mean, think about Elise as that 14 year old girl who had just one shot to get out of this bleak poverty and, you know, systemic oppression would keep her there. How far would you go? Yeah. How far would you go? Hopefully we'll be, this will challenge us to go farther. You know, I I was just sitting here thinking when you were talking, I had the beauty of having a father. He was a Methodist minister. And I guess that's where I get a lot of my empathy, I suppose, because I would sit there as early as I possibly could in a suit and a little tiny bow tie, sitting there on the front row, watching him preach every day of his life. He passed uh, many years ago, but... He had this way to speak to everyone on the same level. I never saw him speak to anyone differently in any of his comings and goings, rich, poor, black, white. I never saw, and he was my hero. So I took that on and I never saw any of that difference. And I suppose that's why to this day, we're all one. And, uh, you know, without belaboring the point, we just got to grow the hell up. I mean, that's the only thing yeah. I can think of. I, I, I can't, um, I can't disagree with you there. Um, you would think, however, uh, we may have, um, 
We may have a road to go on that, like I said, when we have leadership in this country that refuses to do even the basic civil kinds of things, um, stokes fear and hatred among the people who follow them. I, um, I'm trying to remain optimistic, but man, it is, it is tough. It, it can be bleak. Um, I'm going to bring it back up again because uh, here's another one. This is my last one. But uh, you'll appreciate it. It starts at chapter 29. Uh, Every lie you tell, every secret you keep is a fragile little thing that must be protected and accounted for. One misstep, one miscalculation, and your safe little treasures can topple the perfect life you've built around them. I'm going to bridge two two thoughts here. One is the people that you just spoke of that I that we both shake our heads at and scratch our heads going, you know, how the hell can this continue to con- you know, but the optimism that we hold is in this line and we hope that they'll wake up. And if they can't wake up, could we move them along in some not so surreptitious manner? Mm, Indeed. Tell me something, Wanda, how many people have you spoken with on podcasts and interviews that said they felt like they were watching a movie? (laughs) um yeah a few (laughs) well in fact i just wish i had the money i'm a filmmaker i have one one five short films one uh, commercial film to my credit and i i love filmmaking because it takes the essence of a of a novel and boils it down into a visual medium but i wish i had the money because i would love to turn this book into a film and work with you on it it's it's that kind of a film yeah i mean book (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. That is a, that is a very gracious compliment. Thank you. And, and I mean it. And I, I predict, what is this November? I predict if they haven't hit you up yet, you're going to be hearing this in the, I mean, I've already sat down. This is so funny. I've already sat down in my head and go, Oh, I know who I cast for Elise and Vera and Michael and all these big numbskulls, Nate, uh, you know, I'm thinking of anyway, I'm casting from a bank account that I don't have. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love it. I I love hearing that. Um, Thank you very much from, from your lips to God's ear. Say hallelujah. Um, before we get to my, because uh, I know you're on a tight schedule, you have a lot of people begging for your time. We're going to get to my rapid fire questions in just a second, but I want to read off just a few of my favorite quotes because a lot of time folks like to read quotes from people who have read it and love the story. Uh, because I buy books that way. I look at the blurb. If the blurb gets me, I'll go in and read the first paragraph, and then that keeps me. Then I'll go. I'll flip the book over. And look for quotes. And Karen Slaughter, one of my favorite authors, said all her little secrets. What? What's that? That quote just blew me away. I'm sorry. Go on. No, yeah. All her little secrets is a brilliantly nuanced powerhouse exploration of race, the legal system, and the crushing pressure of keeping secrets. It goes on, but I don't want to belabor it by reading all of them. And Karen Slaughter is a prolific international bestselling author. So hot praise. I love, love, love her work too. Um, 
So yeah, when when I got that quote, I uh, I nearly fainted away from here. <laughs> I tell you, um, she is so generous. Uh, she is she is so very generous yeah. with that. Um, people have been very very uh, gracious and um, very kind in their assessment. I you know th- this book is is it could be a bit of a tough read with some of um, the issues. And like I say, you know people go to a book to escape and, you know, I've created this horrifically toxic environment um, in both uh, timelines of the book. Um, And so for people to still uh, read it, to get something out of it, man, there, there's no better feeling. I I appreciate that. Yeah. I can't imagine it. And, and let's think about it. Yeah. We do read for escape, but uh, there are some of us who want to learn something at every turn. My wife laughs at this because I want to be learning something every single day. And if I, if, if, if something comes across my desk and I don't know how it works, I have to research how it works so that I can then know it. You know, um, here's another quote, uh, Hank Philippi Ryan, all her little secrets will provoke you, haunt you and inspire you. So that's, that's another reason to buy. But one of my favorites, Tori Eldridge recently on the show, author of the Lily Wong series, who is a terrific, beautiful, intelligent, brilliant, brave individual. I love her. She says, corporate intrigue, emotional angst, and a serious look at today's racial issues makes all her little secrets a stellar debut. I could not have said it better. I love Tori to death. Tori is just a beautiful, beautiful soul. And uh, I'm so, I'm so grateful that she is in my life. Um, yeah. Love she, she's nothing but radiance. I'm going to go ahead and read you mine. I wrote one in case, uh, if you, in case you ever wanted it, because I tend to do that. Hey, all right. Elegantly taught thriller full of artfully crafted characters and a story that had me racing to the end. Oh, I like that. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. I do like that. Here is a little bit of fun as we ring off. Uh, it's time for just two rapid fire questions. You're going to have some fun with this. Wanda, they're looking for a fill in host for the Oprah show. Um, and the producers have said that you can have three guests. Any three guests you want on the show, they can be someone living or past. Who would those three guests be and why? Okay, living or past. Okay. My mom, who is no longer with us, uh, she passed over 20 years ago, but I would love to talk to her now, having all this under my belt. They know how how proud she would be. She was the one who took me to the library. She never refused me a book. Um, So she would be one guest. Um, Michelle Obama, I, her husband's okay too, but (laughs) I am just in awe of her. I I think she is is just wise beyond her years. I would love to get her insight about being a black female in corporate America. She too, um, before she became first lady was also um, in corporate America. And then the third one would probably have to be, you know, it sounds kind of woo woo, 
But I would love to talk to Zora Neale Hurston. I love her books. Um, she was an author at a time. I mean, she wrote these characters and she didn't write in the mystery genre per se, but she wrote characters that made you root for them from page one. And you were, you know, at least for me, when I read her books, I was so concerned, will this character make it out okay? And what's going to happen to them? Um, so yeah, there are others, but yeah, I, I love her work. And what is her name again? Zora Neal Hurston. Got it. I thought the first one was Zora Neale. Yeah, she was out of Florida and she wrote about uh, characters in the South. Awesome. Okay, you and your husband and kids uh, are have been delivered to a remote island. The bad news is you have no idea when the cruise liner will return. The good news is the resort has everything you need, so you're not in danger. Fortunately, being the brilliant gown that you are, Wanda, you thought ahead and brought a bag of books to read and music to listen to. Now, the reason I ask this is because I'm curious what inspires you. So name just a book or two of those books that you're glad that you threw in your bag and maybe some of that music that you took with you that either you listen to while you write, if you do that, or that you just love in the background to inspire you. Okay, so in my bag of books, I've put anything by Alifair Burke and Joe Ide. In my music bag, I've put um, John Coltrane. I've put um, Anthony David, who was an R&B singer. And I've put Renee Fleming, who was an opera singer. That's, That's a music I listen to when I'm writing. That's a great follow-up question. So you you are one of the fans of having some music while you write. Only when I am typing. When I do all my um, original material, first drafts um, by hand, and I have to have quiet. And then when I go in to type it into the computer, I need music. Awesome. Crazy. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I love, you know, I don't know what it is. I don't know why we authors love to hear everyone else's process, but uh, yeah, I'm with you. I, when I'm writing that very, now I can't do longhand because my hand doesn't uh, keep up with my brain, um, but I like it quiet. Uh, outdoor, mm -hmm. you know, if I'm in the cabin in the woods, that's always great. But when I'm writing action scenes and in the thriller moments really kick in, then I tend to put on the headphones and listen to soundtracks to movies like Zero Dark Thirty and and uh, mm -hmm. you know Jason Bourne and so forth because that dun 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 it just it it raises something in my brain, yeah. my serotonin and my adrenaline get to chomping on it, you know. Um. I'm going to close with this, uh, and I think, did Elise say this, Wanda, or was it was it Vera or Elise, or was it just the, the feeling that I left with, love with your heart, fight with your head? That was Vera. That was Vera's advice to uh, Elise, and it was kind of like a rallying call for her. And it's really a perfect motto to live by. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Wanda, thank you so much for the gift of your time. This has been beautiful. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Yeah, and I wish you nothing but ginormous success, which I don't think I have to wish it because it's just going to happen. Thank you. Thank you so much, David. Folks, you want to learn more? Visit WandaMorrisWrites.com. That's her website. Twitter, WandaMo14. Instagram, WandaMoWrites. I'll tell you what, I am a hugger. Maybe it's part of the way I was brought up and if and maybe being from the South, but I'd reach across there right now and hug you within an inch of your life. <laughs> I mean it. <laughs> this has been a lot of fun, David. Thank you so much for inviting me. I enjoyed it. Pleasure was mine. You have yourself a beautiful rest of the day. You do the same. Take care. Thanks again, Wanda. What a joy. Okay, folks, now for this Friday show. I hope you'll make plans to listen as we feature another debut author, Mark Westmerland, author of A Violent Gospel, a book that New York Times bestselling author S.A. Cosby calls A Visceral Slice of Existential Cornbread. Now that's a recommendation. And that's this Friday, the 26th, on The Thriller Zone. Before I go, here's just one quick programming note. If you're an Apple Podcast listener, but you haven't yet posted a review for our show, P.S. We love five-star reviews, would you consider taking just a quick minute and let us know what you think of the podcast? And if you think we suck, tell me that too. But just give me a reason why. If you listen elsewhere, post there, or even easier, check this out. Go to our website and write a quick review. There's a tab there at the top of the page that's easy to follow. Oh, and if you're a YouTube viewer, please hit the subscribe button to join the Thriller Zone, which is currently called David Temple Author. I know, a wee bit confusing, but we can't change the name until we hit 100. We're halfway there, and you can help us hit 100. Also, don't forget to hit the bell button. That way you'll be notified when a new show drops. Okay, I've babbled long enough, so I will close with Happy Thanksgiving and wish you a great week with friends and family. I'm your host, David Temple, and I'll be back this Friday with another episode of The Thriller Zone. The Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.